Good morning. It's good to be here with you all. It's always good to be here. I kind of feel like when Andrew, it was good to see Andrew and um, Aaron, and he said, I love you, Meadows. And I kind of felt like even though he can't hear us, we all need to say, we love you, Andrew, right back. So let's just hear a, we love you, Andrew. Ready? One, two, three. We love you, Okay, now hopefully they'll go over there. And all of a sudden they'll feel this warmth as they, you know, in their Sunday service, um, which is awesome. Uh, So let me say a prayer. Lord, as we turn to your word, may we be um, corrected, transformed, encouraged by all you have to say to us. We ask it and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Judgment. That's what we're talking about today, which can be, I think, a hard one. Um, But look how many times judge is mentioned here. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you will, you judge, you'll be judged. Five times. Judgment. And whenever you see repetition in the Bible, you say it a little bit louder, okay? So you see it the first one, you say judge. Second time, you say judge. Third time, you say judgment. And then two more times, even louder, okay? Because something's being emphasized here. And there's so much just there that is hard to even know where to begin. Um, So where shall we begin? Let's begin with uh, just looking at all the U's you see there. First of all, the first judge not, the U is included in the verb. So it's you judge not. Second of all, the U's there are all in the plural. Here's something we need to think about. As evangelicals, we tend to have a very personal faith, right? And we should. That's what it should be. But throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes back and forth between plural, all of us, and the singular, me, or you. So this is all the plurals. He is saying, meadows, judge not, that you, meadows, be not judged. For the judgment, meadows, that you judge, meadows, you will be judged. That's all of us. And so it's really important for us to understand that the Sermon on the Mount isn't just about you. It's about us. We are a body. The church is not an organization. The church is an organism, right? And so Jesus speaks often to us and how we need to treat each other. And Jesus speaks very pointedly to me as a member within the body of Christ. The second thing is, when Jesus says judge not, is imperative, which means don't do it. Don't do it, church. Don't judge. I know you're thinking, yeah, but we judge all the time. And Okay, well, we're going to explore that. Don't judge. And then it's followed by what you call in Greek a purpose statement. For the purpose of not being judged. In other words, if you judge, you will be judged. 
That's why I underlined will there. If you judge guaranteed, you will be judged. So Jesus says, don't judge, and you won't be judged. If you do judge, you're going to get judged. So, oh my goodness. So what does it mean to judge? And that's really, really important. So let's look, and this is so interesting, this Greek definition. So the, the definition of both these are straight from the Greek dictionary, okay? And, uh, oh, wait. Oh. And don't you even think about sleeping. Where is that? Where is that? No. That guy, what? Okay, hold on. I went through this a thousand times. There. Okay, so this is what it means. Finding fault. So judgment here in this passage means finding fault with this or that in others. And I found that so interesting that a dictionary would would actually, in the definition, finding fault with this or that. What do you learn by that? Well, the judgment he's talking about is finding fault with whatever. How many of you can find fault with whatever? I can, right? There's always something you can be find fault with. Always you can find fault with. And then uh, uh, the definition continues to judge or pass judgment upon condemn. So don't find fault with people for whatever, for little things, for this or for that. And don't condemn people for those little things, which we have a tendency to do. And we'll look a little bit closer at that, too. Now, here's the thing we have to remember. We must have the kind of judgment that discerns, right? Not a condemning judgment, but a judgment that discerns the good from the bad. Scripture calls us to that. We have to kind of the kind of judgment that discerns the true from the false, right? I don't know how many of you have seen uh, Matt Walsh's What is a Woman? But our culture today really has a problem with that, right? Really has a problem with defining what is a woman and what's a man. We have to judge at, with the discernment the good from the bad, the true from the false, sin from righteousness, we have to be able to have the kind of judgment that concern. And all of that has to be based upon Scripture. We're not the judge, so we don't condemn. But we do have to discern. We'll, we'll deal with that more as this passage moves on. Romans 14.10 says, Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Why do you despise your brother? For all will stand before the judgment seat of God. If you judge, you're going to be judged without question. And the word there, despise, means um, to have no use for, worthless. So if we judge people for this or that, what we're saying is, I have no use for you. You're worthless. I don't care about you. I'm going to judge you for the stupidest things 
that I can for the most irrelevant things in the world. And I'm going to condemn you for them, and I really don't have any use for you then. And Jesus says, not good. Don't do it. And there you see, judgment is based upon the word of God. Judgment ultimately stands with the Lord, which is why we don't need to condemn. We're not the ones that separate the sheep and the goats, right? Who does that? Right, God, Jesus. Right? Not us. It's really interesting that Oswald Chambers says, uh, says this. He says, There's always one more fact in every life of which we know nothing. Therefore, Jesus says, judge not. You see, we judge the stupidest little things, this and that, and we have no idea what a person's actually going through. And so let's turn to this. Now we get this guy. I know, y'all want to go sleeping, right? This is, a, is an, this is a story from Grace Awakening from Charles Swindoll about Charles Swindoll, okay? So he's telling this story on himself. And it's really interesting. So Charles Swindoll recounts an experience he, was, uh, he once had while ministering at a Bible conference. On the first night, he had briefly met a couple who seemed to be friendly and quite glad to be at the meetings. However, as the week went by, Swindoll noticed roughly 10 minutes, roughly I'm, I'm timing all of you. Roughly 10 minutes from the start of speaking, at every meeting, the husband would fall fast asleep. This experience irritated Charles <coughs> Swindoll so much that by the time of the final meeting, he was convinced that, there was, um, that the man was there only to please his wife. And we all know people like that, right? And he was pretty convinced. That's why he came. He sat there in the meeting. Yeah, 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 whatever, blah, 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 blah. Fall asleep, take a nap. And Charles said he was probably a carnal Christian. Well, that's starting to get into condemnation, isn't it? At the conclusion of the final meeting, however, the wife requested to speak to Swindoll for a few minutes. He figured she wanted to talk to him about her husband's lack of interest in spiritual matters. But the wife said, when she spoke to him, that her husband had terminal cancer. And that, and that they had attended the conference mainly at his request. It was his final wish to be at the conference, even though the pain medication he was taking made him extremely drowsy. She then said, He loves the Lord. And you are his favorite Bible teacher. 
He wanted to be here to meet you and to hear you. No matter what. No matter what. Charles Swindoll wrote, I stood there all alone as deeply rebuked as I had ever been. Judge not. There's always one more fact in every life of which we know nothing. Therefore, Jesus says, judge not. Discern, to be sure, but judge not. And then Jesus talks more about that. And he says this. By the way, I have actually, at a church that I started in in New Jersey, I guarantee that every, right over there, there there was a same guy came every week, extremely faithful, family extremely faithful, and he had fell asleep every single week. <laughs> it was just a guarantee. Judge not, though. Jesus moves on and says, um, no, yeah, thanks. Sorry, that illustration about Charles Swindoll gets me because it's just, you know, judge not. And with the measure you use, it will be measured you. Now, what's interesting about this is the word measure, the first time in yellow, is a noun, and the second time is a verb. So here's what it means. And the measuring instrument you use, it will be measured out to you. So in other words, I have a bunch of cups there. So take that that big cup, right? So if you pour in a full cup of judgment, how much judgment is going to be poured out on you? A full cup. If you use the little one at the edge there, a quarter cup of judgment, how much is going to be poured out on you? A quarter cup. Because the amount you put into an instrument is the amount that's going to come out of it to you. Don't do it. That's why this is important. So the... Easy read, that's what ERV means, the easy read version. Sometimes that's the version you got to go to, the easy read version. It says, if you judge others, you will be judged in the same way you judge them. God will treat you in the same way you treat others. And that's what it is. If that isn't enough to make you stop judging others... What is? That alone ought to give us pause to say, okay, I won't do it. Here's how God judges us. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure. That's the noun. Same word. It's the noun. According to the measuring instrument of God, of Christ's gift. What is the measuring instrument of Christ's gift? It is the cross. That's the instrument of Christ's gift that's measured. And you know what? You know what he what goes into the cross? His life is given. 
his blood. Our sin is, he takes our sin upon himself. He offers us forgiveness. He offers us reconciliation. It all goes into the cross as he goes on the cross. And it all comes out from the cross. That's what he put into it. That was, is what comes from it. We were judged in him, through him, on the cross. And what gets poured out from the cross is forgiveness, reconciliation, and peace with God. So then Jesus continues. He says, he asks two rhetorical questions. And we're going to try, a rhetorical question means you don't answer it, but we are going to try to answer it, okay? Is that all right with y'all? Okay. So why do you see the speck in your brother's eye? Now, here's, I don't know what your translation says, but this is the ESV. I, I always use the ESV, but it really, I don't think, should be speck. It is also translated as sliver. The word log is log, I mean log or timber or plank. So where does a sliver come from? It comes from a log or timber or plank, okay? So I think uh, Jesus probably would have used a word like sliver. So that's, I, it's back here, but why do you see the sliver in your brother's eye, but not notice the log that is in your eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the sliver or speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye. What's so interesting about the fact that there's a, a sliver in my eye or a log in my eye and only a, a sliver in Bonnie's, that's really the way it should be, you know. Yeah, okay, I'm glad somebody understood that. Um, is that it's the same issue. You both have a piece of wood in your eye. Both are dealing with the same issue. It's just that one is dealing with it in a big, profound, can't get over the issue way. One just in a little way. Just a minor thing. But it's the same issue. So why? Why do you see the, the sliver in your brother's eye, but you have a log in yours? Well, let me try some answers and see if, see if I'm right. First of all, because you can. Because you want to. Because, because you're angry. You had a bad day and you come home. And you know what? It's just easier to say, what are we having for dinner? Uh, we had that last week. Judge that one real quick. Always didn't get the lawn mowed. Doggone it. How many times? They are so stupid. They, I mean, woof. Not that I would ever say that. I'm just supposing you might. <laughs> or maybe it's to make someone look dumb and for you to look superior. Maybe that's why we judge people, because that oftentimes happens. So let me give you an example of that. I'll get it. There we go. Now, he's not actually a center fielder. 
but this is a story about a center fielder. So in Discipleship uh, Journal, uh, a guy named Don McCullough says this. He says, John Kissinger tells about a manager of a minor league baseball team who is so disgusted with the center fielder's performance that he ordered him into the dugout. And he assumed the position himself. The first ball that came... <laughs> yeah, you see what's going to happen. The, <laughs> the first ball that came into center field took a bad hop and hit the manager in the mouth. The next one was a high fly ball, which he lost in the glare of the sun until it bounced off his forehead. The third was a hard line drive that he charged with an outstretched arm. Unfortunately, it flew between his hands and smacked him in the eye. Furious, he ran back to the dugout, grabbed the center fielder by the uniform, shaking him, saying, You idiot! You have got center field so messed up, even I can't do a thing with it. (laughs) (laughs) Judging for this or that. Ridiculous judgments. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about the kind of judgment we have to discern sin with. He's talking about the ridiculous judgments that we pass on to everybody. All blame is a waste of time. No matter how much fault we find with another, and regardless of how much blame you give them, it will not change you. The only thing blame does is to keep the focus off of us. Judging for this or that keeps it off of me. So when you're, so you're looking for external reasons to explain your unhappiness or your frustration, and you may succeed in making another feel guilty of something by blaming them and by judging them for this or that, but you won't succeed in changing what it is about you that is making you unhappy. It won't get the sliver out of your eye, and it certainly is not going to get the log out of your eye. So don't judge, says Jesus, because the amount you pour in is the amount that we pour out. So I'm going to go back to that slide and look at two other things. He says, or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? And I underlined that there because it really shouldn't read, let me take. It's in the imperative. So this is the way it should be. It should be, um, it should be, it should say, or how can you say to your brother, I will take the speck out of your eye. That's what it should say. I will take it out. I see it and I'm going to get it. And you know what that is? It's arrogance. I got a log in my, but I see it in you, and I am going to take it out. Not let me. Not asking for permission. Telling you what he's going to do. I'm going to do it because I am arrogant. I can't see what's in my own eye, but I can see what's in yours, and I'm going to judge that. And you know what? What I'm judging you for is just this or that. It's not even a big deal. It's crazy. Furthermore, 
it's crazy because you're vision impaired. How many of you want to go to an eye doctor that can't even really see? <laughs> I mean, you don't want them coming in with a thickness of glasses like this, right? Not a confidence builder. You're thinking, well, oh, he better be good. <laughs> so dark in here, I can hardly see a thing. <laughs> Turn on the light. <laughs> well, that's part of the problem here. It's arrogance and it's craziness. But here's something else that's interesting in this passage. The speck needs to come out. How many of you have ever had something stuck in your eye, something, an eyelash in your eye? And it's drives you crazy, right? And like, you know, when it happens to me, I'm like, Bonnie, can you see some of my eye? And she doesn't have a log in her eye, so she can get it out of mine. And drives you crazy, and her eye gets red and starts tearing. It's got to come out, and the log has to come out too. They both have to come out. But the question is, who do you want taking it out of your eye? I don't want somebody who doesn't have the fruit of the Spirit just dwelling in them, taking the, taking the speck out of my eye. It's got to come out. But I need to have somebody who is living by the Spirit, who is in Scripture, somebody who understands who God is, to take the speck out of my eye, to correct me. That's the kind of person I wanted them taking my life, uh, taking the speck out of mine, or the log out of mine. Because sometimes I have a log. Sometimes I have a speck. Sometimes I have a log. I mean, it's a recurring thing, right? I mean, to think that once it's out, we never had. That's why we, have a, we confess our sin all the time, because we constantly get little splinters in our eye. Sometimes we get a big log in our eye. Here's what the fruit of the Spirit are. It's just... Let me just read it. I know you can't read it on the screen. It's probably too small. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, not arrogance, self-control. That's the kind of person who I need to come up to me and say, sir, you got a log. Let's take it out. How do I do that? Well, they know Scripture. Because the fruit of the Spirit is the result of knowing Christ and knowing Scripture and letting that dwell in your life richly. And so they can come up and say, here's, here's what's going on, Stuart. And here's what you got to do. Oh. All right. That's the kind of person that I need to help me with the speck in my eye. Because Jesus says it's got to come out. Or the log, which also has come out. So one more time, back to that, that, that same thing. Notice in that pastor, passage, it says, Why do you see the speck, the sliver that's in your brother's eye? Question for you all. Is it easier to criticize your brother or a friend? Sorry, my family's a brother. My family's a sister. I don't know about yours. Maybe you're all nice and lovely. I have to just say this. Bonnie didn't know my family from Adam when we started dating. 
And then my family came for graduation at Princeton, and she think, oh, you know, they see, his dad seems lovely, his mom seems lovely. She went, we all went out to dinner in New York. My dad pulls the tables all together, and it was a free-for-all. I mean, my family talks like Italians, and we have some Italian in us. We talk with our hands, which is why not having this hand to preach is a real killer for me, because <laughs> I can't fully preach. But Bonnie's like, the person down at this end is talking to the person way down at this end. And they think, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. You know, and then this person chimes in. Bonnie's like, whoa, whoa, okay. I go to Bonnie's house. And <laughs> Seth, is, Seth is cracking up here, but I'm at Bonnie's house. And her family's like, That's not a joke. I've actually seen that. I, I'm like, I hope I can find, I hope they can deal with me. So as soon as I met them, I read that passage. Don't judge. But it's so easy to judge your brother, isn't it? It's so easy to find a fault with somebody you love. So easy to find a fault with their wife. So easy to find a fault with their husband. This or that kind of fault. Not sin. Not right or wrong. But just these little peccadillos, these little tiny things. That Jesus says, don't do it. Because you're going to be judged for, in the same measure you pour out on something ridiculous. Do you really want to be judged by God? For something ridiculous that you've judged other people on? I don't think so. I want to be judged by the cross. Because what Jesus, what goes on that cross, comes out from that cross. Jesus, I want his judgment. Because in him I am declared forgiven. And then this, Jesus continues. He's kind of slow at clicking the slide, though. You hypocrite. And what's interesting, that word hypocrite, it's not, hey, you've seen this in the Sermon on the Mount, hypocrite mentioned a lot. Don't be like the hypocrites. Don't act like the hypocrites. But here, it's, it's, in Greek, it's called provocative. It is a direct address. I think this is the first time. I don't know for sure. But I'm pretty sure this is the first time in the Sermon on the Mount where he looks at you and he says, you are a hypocrite. Before he said, don't be like the hypocrites. But here he says, you, when you act that way, when you have this or that kind of judgment, this, these ridiculous things that you pour into, you are a hypocrite. You hypocrite. Now, see those two things? There? That's actually a pair of glasses with wood. Hope you can see that, okay? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. And then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. You got to deal with it. Best remedy is through scripture. Best remedy is if you've got a log in your own eye, listen to somebody who is who's spiritual, who's filled with the fruit of the Spirit. If they tell you something... 
Listen to them. Don't be arrogant. Don't be a go around taking a speck out of somebody else's eye. And then Jesus kind of pulls this all together, which seems like a, almost a non sequitur. It's like, what does this even have to do with what Jesus is talking about? And if you're reading the commentaries, a lot of the commentaries really deviate. And I don't know why, because I think it's pretty clear. He says, don't give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. What on earth does this have to do with judgment, right? And again, they work back to all plurals now. When it was taken a speck and log, I was singular as you. But now back to plural. So here's the thing. Don't give dogs what is holy. It almost doesn't make sense, right? Who here would give a dog a filet mignon? Raise your hand. Okay. Especially at prices meat are today. You wouldn't do it. But you certainly aren't going to give a dog. In that culture, dogs are scavengers. They're not pets. All right? They're scavengers like pigs. Pigs are unclean. Dogs are unclean. Pigs scavenge. Dogs scavenge. You're just not going to do it. In other words, what Jesus is saying, don't give dogs what what is holy. Because you're discerning. You have to have discernment. You have to know that you don't give dogs what is holy. You don't go into the temple and take the showbread, the bread of presence, out of the, uh, the, out of the holy place and, and, and give it to dogs. That's insane. Use your judgment, folks. And he says, and don't cast your pearls before pigs. Who would do that? Pigs don't know the difference between a pearl and a pumpkin, do they? In fact, they'll probably eat the pumpkin and trample the the pearl underfoot, like it says. We have to have discernment, was Jesus saying. We have to have discernment in matters of faith. That's what you have to be concerned about with your brother. Is my brother following Jesus? Not... Did my brother call me on my birthday? Is my brother living for Christ? It, and the term brother, actually, in the Greek, can also mean sister or family member. So don't think it, it's just the men. It's not. It's the men and women. The family members. And it's matters of faith that we have to be concerned about. Things that are important, not just this or that thing. Pigs have no discernment. What so ever what draws this passage together is this concept of discernment which is what Jesus is talking about here discern folks don't take your Bible and throw it in the pig pen your dog could care less your dog doesn't know any different discern and Good judgment, the kind of judgment we are to have, is a kind of judgment that can discern. And we're called to be discerning. Not condemning people for irrelevant things. We need to discern between what is holy and unholy. Between what is sin 
and what is righteousness, doing what is right and what is wrong. That is what our culture is grossly missing today because we don't want to judge. Have you heard that? We don't want to judge. Well, Scripture says we do, but we, what we don't want to judge is just this or that. We don't want to be arrogant, saying, I'm going to take it out of your eye. Are we better? And we better be able to see ourselves clearly. We better be able to see in our own lives what is holy and unholy in our lives. Better be able to see the obstruction in our life. Two scriptures for that. The word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, which means it can do the surgery necessary to get whatever is in your eye out of your eye. And piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrows and able to judge. You see where our judge is? Our judge is in Scripture. Scripture will judge us. And that's what we, who we want judge in Scripture. And is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Because a lot of times that's where our log is. It's in our heart. It's in our mind. It's the way we see things. And Scripture can judge that. And so we have to be a people that are immersed in Scripture so that we can get the log out. And if we don't want to pay attention to Scripture, we're going to have a log sitting there our whole life. Scripture is really important. And then there's this one. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. Not for teaching you, for teaching me. For reproof, for correction. Isn't that what we're talking about? And for training in righteousness. That's what we want. And the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is what we want. Scripture will teach us how to deal with the splinter and the log. There's no other way. Because if we judge people for this and that, it's our judgment. Our judgment's always wrong. God's is pure. It refines. So what are some of my takeaways? Oh, I didn't want them all to come at once. I thought I had a different. It doesn't matter. First, have a mindset that is set on God's word and holiness and then treat each other accordingly. See, if our mindset is in Scripture, using particularly those two Scripture verses I just used, then, then we'll have the correct mindset and we won't get into judging people for this or that. And we will be able to judge discerningly between what is sin and what is righteousness. We'll be able to tell the difference between a man and a woman in our culture and what is wrong with where our culture is going with all of that. Got to be able to tell. But we won't be able to tell unless we know God's word, unless our mindset is on God's word. Second, a splinter in the eye is irritating. 
and wood is blinding. If you have a log in your eye, you're blinded. Splinter is irritating. Which is in your eye? Ask yourself the question. We should all go home today and say, do I just have a splinter in my eye? Just something that's irritating that God wants taken out? Or is what I'm doing so blinding that I can't even see? It's blinding me to something else going on in my life. Check out the Word of God to discover. Find someone who is filled with the fruit of the Spirit to help you. Or a body. Sermon on the Mount isn't just about you. It's about us. It's about you in particular, but it's about us. We need to rely on each other to help us with the splinter and with the wood. But the people who can do that are people who are filled with the Spirit. And we need to constantly check Scripture to see whether we have wood or splinter in our eye. And then finally, grace is given to you according to the measure of Christ's gift. And I always remember, the measure poured in is the cross. And that's what's poured out to us. By Christ. Forgiveness. Wholeness. That's what it all is. Let us pray. Lord, we give thanks for the way the Word of God gives us discernment in our life. Forgive us when we um, judge people for this or that. Pour out from the cross all that you put on it, which is Christ himself. And then, Lord, this day we have several congregational issues we need to pray about. We pray for Sandy Richardson's family at the death of her brother, Mark Bell, and his family. Just found out about it this morning. And I didn't know them, but Bonnie did, and many people in this church did. And so we pray for uh, Sandy Richardson. She's asking for prayer at the death of her brother. And so we pray for her, that your Holy Spirit would minister to her, that the Church of Christ would minister to her and to the family. We pray for Bob Bulldog and his family at the passing of Patsy, his wife, on Thursday. Grief is a part of our lives. That's not a pleasant part. But we pray that the church would surround Bob and his family at the passing of his wife. We pray for God's comfort and for the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And we ask for God's healing for John Winter, one of our missionaries here at Meadows. He's in Thailand, and he was hit by a car while riding a bicycle. And I don't know the extent of the injuries, but being hit by a car, it just can't be good. And we pray for healing in his life. And then, Lord, we, we pray for the pastoral search committee. That work will go forward and that you would be preparing even as I pray the right person, the right pastor to be called to this church. 
And we pray for Andrew and Aaron B's ministry. He asked us to pray for it in the video, and we pray for it. Especially, he said, pray for their alpha groups. And those can be powerful groups in the community, and we pray for that, that they, a lot of people would come, and that after the first alpha group, people go out and bring more people to the alpha group. And then finally, God, I pray for BBS, for all the, the people participating in that, for all the children that be participating in that. BBS is, is a great evangelistic event. It's a great discipleship event. It's a wonderful event. And I pray your blessing upon that time and upon our teachers and upon our children. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's